Okay, what's going on, guys? And welcome to a brand new episode of Energize Ross. Introduce the guest, man. We have MMA's number one podcast on with us today. We have oh. weighing in in the blue corner. We have <laughs> the man who wrote. <laughs> we have the man who wrote the rule book in MMA. The MMA referee goat that is Big John McCarthy, and in the red corner. We have Strike Force, UFC, and Bellator veteran Josh the Punk Thompson, the only man to get Nate Diaz out of the octagon. How are you doing, guys? <laughs> doing good. How are you guys doing? Good, I'm, I'm, glad you, I'm glad that you have come to grips with the fact that we are the number one MMA podcast <laughs> out there. Big John, how does that make you feel to hear somebody else say it? Not just us. Come on, baby. It's no better than when they say that. Well, once Conor McGregor that. says it, that's certified, you know? Oh, there you go. Done, done. Oh, well, here, man. Uh, okay, we'll just go over a couple of things before we get into the show. Obviously, we have the two lads on. This is episode 300 of Energize. If you are new to the show, make sure to like and subscribe. This is a banger. We're coming out episode 300 with the best podcast in the world. Ross, how happy are you, man? Man, I am absolutely buzzing. This podcast is brought to you by KB Nutrition. They fuel the lads. They, they give the lads some great nutritious meals. And also, if you are here and you have not seen the Wayne In podcast, head over. Episode 123 is out there now. And they just talk about the UFC and Derek Lewis's big win over Curtis Blades. And they talk about something that we're going to get into because I'm interested in Usman versus Nick Diaz as well. Basmo, what's your t-shirt say? Uh, this is Al Calzoni. He's uh, he's been a, he's been a fan of the show for a while. He, he actually lives near you, Josh, as well. He does the, he's the Michael Jordan of cheesesteaks as well. But, oh, uh, really? But, Michael Jordan of cheesesteaks? Cheesesteaks, huh? Yeah. Is, is he own a business? Is he yeah. own a business? Yeah. 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 What, what's it called? Cal Cal Calzoni Cal Calozzi Calozzi. That's it exactly. Calozzi. Sorry, excuse me. We'll get him what? to drop into your DMs for a free cheesesteak sandwich afterwards. <laughs> Definitely. You mean Calzoni? You mean like a Calzo Calzoni no, or it's Calozzi? Calozzi. Oh, you're gonna have to send it to me. I want to check it out. It's over here by me in the in the Bay Area. We will do. We will do. And also, we want to give a massive shout out to the podcast, Dave, as well. He's uh he's doing great things, and he's uh he's representing you two lads well. Who? Podcast Dave. Do you ever hear of him? No. We don't talk, we, we don't talk about him. Well, okay. the, <laughs> the Scottish young Jamie. It is the Scottish young Jamie. It is the Scottish young Jamie. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, that's so great. Oh, so guys, well, tell us what's going on. What's going on over there where you guys are at? How are you? How's your lockdowns? What's going on with that? I'll tell. I'll be honest with you, Josh. We are like the laughing stock of Europe. We are in like what we call level five lockdown till oh, May, I think now, and like our numbers are like aren't even getting any better. So like, it's all fairly doom and gloom over here. Um. But we're keeping it energized, man. Yeah, we're keeping it energized. Yeah. And it could be worse. Like, <laughs> yeah. we ha we do have power. It could be worse. We could be in Texas. Boom! Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> always look on the bright side of life, you know? Exactly. Oh, exactly. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Russ, you, you, you guys, take it away, man. You guys are a little rough, buddy. You guys are a little rough. No, man. It's just truthful. They're, like, they're sitting. They know what cold is in Ireland. And they know what it's like to not have power like Texas. So you can bring your F-150 up to your thing, plug it in so you can have some heat. You better hey, believe dude, it, dude, Big dude. John. But the cool thing about, um, I guess, not having power is equivalent to like not having internet, right, Big John? I have no idea what you're talking about. 
Big John, I can see you. I can see you crystal clear. If anyone's got the shaky internet on here, it's the punk. Oh, thank you so much, Ross. You know, you know the truth. But guys, guys, let's call a spade a spade. Let's let's get let's get right into it. UFC heavyweight division is after getting very spicy very quick. Um, Derek, my balls are hot. Lewis is after coming in there and changing the game. He knocked out Curtis Blades in the second round over the weekend. I called it last week. I said you can't you can't bet against that man's power. And he's after making himself. He's beat, I think, as it stands, the number one ranked, the number two ranked, and the number five ranked UFC heavyweight. Does he not deserve a title shot? If the, if John Jones didn't exist with this heavyweight move, wouldn't he be a clear cut number one contender for the belt? Absolutely not. No, absolutely oh. not. No, you can, come on. You, you no. got to be honest about this. People, people are forgetting that Derek Lewis did have a title shot. He fought Daniel Cormier for the title and showed that he was lacking in an area of wrestling that Cormier was able to expose as far as it's not that, you know, he was the first one to do it, but he was successful in taking him down and ends up getting the fight. But you've got guys, you know, Francis Ngannou deserves a title shot. I'm, John, I'm not saying take him out, though. I'm saying after. He's, he's not next in line. Oh, yeah. After. He's absolutely coming up in yeah. there. No doubt about it. But you got to look. He's got to say, John Jones can skip everyone, and it's righteous because yeah. you got to look at the run that he's had as the light heavyweight king <clears throat> and to move up and get that title shot right away. It's it's legitimate, and it makes sense. But Francis Ngannou is right there with him as far as he deserves another shot. Let's see if he learned from that first loss that he had with Stipe uh, exactly how he's improved and what he's done so those same things that happened in that fight don't happen again. What do you Josh, think, Josh? Yeah. yeah, what about you, Josh? I, well, I think, I think we're going to see – I think John Jones is going to cut the line, which he deserves to, like John and I were talking about. Um. I think but we're going to see how the Rosenstrike fight uh, plays out with Cyril gone. And I think if John's going to insert himself into there, into that middle there and take the next title shot, which he should, if he is, if he is going to stay at heavyweight or they get the work, they get the, the money worked out and the situation worked out for him to go ahead and get there. Then I would think you put, you put um, Derek Lewis against the winner of Cyril gone and Rosenstruck to see who fights next after John Jones. Then that keeps both of those guys busy. And then it also allows John Jones his opportunity to fight for the title. Uh, if it's against Francis or it's against Stipe, whoever, whoever loses that fight is going to have to go a little bit down to like number five. And I'm not saying they're going to lose in ranks that much. I'm just saying they're going to have to wait until after probably Derek Lewis, Lewis and, and Rosenstruck or, or Cyril Gaunt end up fighting to see, to see who they're going to have to fight out of that maybe, or the winner of that fights for the title and the two losers fight each other to see who uh, is going to fight for the, the title after that. Like John, John's always said this, and, and, and I think a lot of people don't understand this, is that the UFC has like a, a little bit of a format. Normally the two, two losers will fight each other, so they end up with one of them being a winner. So then they don't have to worry about two guys going on long runs and potentially losing um, a little bit of that star power. So they have two guys that have losses. They fight each other. When they fight each other, one of them is guaranteed to come out on the win. And when that happens, they're going to move them on up, you know, and the other one will stay kind of where they're at or drop down a little bit more. And they'll just keep matching that other person up with probably another loser to see if one of them can get another win. So you keep you keep following that track there. But I think that's that's kind of a good format for them um, with Derek Lewis and fighting the winner of uh, Rosenstruck and Cyril Gaon. And then Cyril Gaon will probably fight the loser of uh, whoever was the champion before. 
you know. So if it was John Jones versus uh, Stipe, or if it was Stipe losing and then Stipe going out to fight Serial Gone, potentially making another run back of the title. But it kind of makes for a very interesting situation in that heavyweight division because John and I were talking on weighing in just like what two weeks ago, John, and I was saying, man, the heavyweight division is just not doing it for me lately. You still got a lot of these older guys fighting. You've got Arlovsky fighting, Dos Santos fighting. I'm like, over him fighting. I'm like, it's just not doing it for me anymore. But then the young guys that showed up the other night, and then the young guys are going to come and fight again this week, this weekend coming up. I'm telling you, it started, it started to kind of tickle the butthole a little bit. I'm liking it. <laughs> typical, typical. Well, I think Josh just matched every heavyweight up against each other over the next uh, <laughs> six or six to 12 months. But uh, another big uh, name coming out of this weekend's card is Tom Aspinall. Um, what an absolute outrageous win. Um, he he outragedly lit uh, Arlovsky up on the feet. He shot a beautiful double leg in the second. And then under Arlovsky, I've never seen someone give their back and, and uh, give their neck so easily, especially someone who was a UFC heavyweight champion at one stage. Um, but Tom Aspinall looks like he's the real deal. And he's got to be the hottest prospect out of all the heavyweights. Do you agree with that, guys? I don't know if he's the hottest prospect out of all heavyweights as far as he is with people that didn't know him. But if you've followed Tom and his career, he's good. And now, and he has really done a great job of taking the losses that he had and taking notes from those and saying, I need to fill these holes. And he's really done that well. And his standup has become so much better. His ground game is a, is he's a monster on the ground. People have no idea how good Tom Aspinall is. You don't get heavyweights that are really good off their back. You just, you know, and Josh and I talk about it all the time. And, you know, it's not a place that heavyweights want to be. And I'm not saying that he wants to be there, but even, you know, he looks like Frank Mir <laughs> and he does have a ground game similar to Frank Mir, which makes him dangerous for every heavyweight in the division. Because when you talk about guys that are good with their wrestling, there's not a whole lot of them. And then you talk about guys that on top of that have a good submission game. Now you're starting to really narrow down the field and with his stand-up getting the, the thing that really impressed me in his fight with Arlovsky was how relaxed he was in the stand-up how calm he was how he was controlling the distance in the fight he was the one deciding when the engagements would occur he's just he's just excelling at an exponential rate in his learning curve and he's just getting better and better so yeah he's that guy that's right there in that as I say knocking on the door of the top 10 he should be right at in that, eh, let's say, 12 to number nine spot. Somewhere in there, you should see Tom Aspinall. Now it's when he makes that next level change into that upper echelon. Yeah, I think he could be the next British fighter to fight for a belt as well. Um, it obviously depends on if um, if Izzy leaves middleweight and goes up to light heavyweight. The UFC love nothing more than trying to get Darren Hill into a title fight. Yeah. <laughs> Lads, what, what do you yeah. make of John Jones actually moving up into the heavyweight division as well? Like, can who do you think actually poses the biggest threat against him? Because uh, he's cleaned out the light heavyweight division and that went sort of stale. But now um, there's some very interesting matchups. Uh, John, do you want to answer first? John, I, I look for, for, for yeah, for, for me, I think realistically it's just Francis Ngano and then uh, and even Derek Lewis. I'll say Derek Lewis as well. Um, Derek Lewis sure needs to work on his wrestling a lot more to stop John Jones' takedown. But like we saw, like, like we've been saying for the longest time, guys like Francis Ngannou and guys like Derek Lewis, 
with that amount of power that they have, you've got to be very cautious on how you approach your takedowns. And, and Curtis Blades found out the other night. Yeah. The other thing as well is when you're having these conversations about guys that hit hard and, and guys that can change the game with, you know, with one shot, John, towards the end of his 205 pound career, right? Towards the, he was getting hit a lot. He's getting hit a lot more. And he just, I don't know if it was because he didn't take, he didn't really feel like he'd be hurt by those guys anymore. There was nothing there that those guys could do anymore. You can tell he kind of either he lost his motivation or he's just not the same fighter anymore. <clears throat> I'm hoping that this run up to, to, to heavyweight will invigorate him into making him a, you know, a more energized fighter. Like we saw when he fought Stefan Bonner and Shogun Hua and, and those guys back in the day, will we see that John Jones again? Who knows? Because now you've got to be very careful with taking chances against guys that hit as hard as Derek Lewis, Francis Ngannou, and that are, uh, as we saw, very fast and explosive. Let's, let me remind you, Francis Ngannou almost decapitated over him. Yeah. You know, and Derek Lewis just, just on Saturday night just took Curtis Blade's soul. So when we're having these conversations, like, you, you know, John Focus Jones can soul. do all the, spin, the, the, the spinning fancy stuff. But what happens when he gets clipped just accidentally and that that he gets taken out so that it brings a new it brings a new dynamic to the game will john be the old john and will john be willing to take chances or is john just going to try to wrestle them to death and get those wins i think john takes a smart approach with the wrestling but guys like francis and gondo are very athletic and a lot stronger than the guys at 205 and should be able to stop a takedown or two and in the process john jones is going to get hit and he's going to hit like he's never been hit before so there's a lot of questions to be answered of him going to heavyweight, but what do I think of it overall? I freaking love it, man. I yes. love it. Yes. The reason why I love it is it's spicing things up. <clears throat> the 205-pound division now is set free from John Jones, and John Jones is about to go to heavyweight and lock that division down now for himself. If he can, we'll, is get to be seen. But, man, I'm excited to see. I'm excited to see if we're going we're gonna to see a new reinvigorated John Jones. Big John, did you, do you agree with that? I, a lot of it I do, and there, but there's certain aspects I think you need to think about. John Jones is an exceptional fighter. And I think his matchup with Stipe, first off, that is not an easy fight for him to win. No. Stipe's boxing is very technically clean. His stand-up is clean. His wrestling is good. His anti-wrestling. Look at Dan Cormier. In getting him down, he's popping back up. And... I, you people can sit there and say what they want. I know that John took Dan down, but John is not the wrestler that Dan Cormier was. So Stipe has got an outstanding wrestling defense. I think that Stipe matches up incredibly well with John, but I think he's the easier puzzle for John to figure out. than you're looking at an Ngano or a Lewis, because when you're taking a look at Francis Ngano or Derek Lewis, either one, just like what Josh said, look at, they hit people and hurt them when they don't land in the right spot. They, they, you know, Ningano put you know, not only Overeem's lights out, he put Rosenstruck's lights out fast. Even with a shot that you go, that didn't land that clean. So he can hurt John at any point in the fight. Also, the other thing is both of those guys, and Ningano's a little bit cleaner than Lewis, but they're both not technically clean in the standup. They throw from odd angles. They do things that make you, as their opponent, you're, you're used to fighting guys that are technical. But when a guy does things that is not quite technical and is just kind of wild and crazy, 
it kind of makes you hold back. You got to be careful with them. And especially with the power that both of those guys possess, John's going to have his hands. Well, the, the step up in competition is not a step up in competition as far as total skill level, but the step up in competition when it comes to the ability to put your lights out, he is stepping into a world that he has never experienced before. Ross, I'll ask you this question as well. No one really brings up the fact that John Jones has enough money to, like, you could retire. He doesn't have to go up and do this. Now, obviously, Conor McGregor has way more money, but he doesn't need to do it either. So, like, do you think the John Jones that is moving up, this is, he still, what do you sort of make of this? Because he can, he can retire and live happily ever after right now. I feel like John Jones is almost on a career revival. He's gone, been through his trials and tribulations, and now he's trying to revive his career. He's trying to, you know, lead the sport with a good name. And I think that John Jones has almost always fought to the level and ability of his opponents. The better opponent you give John Jones, the better performance you get out of John Jones. That's why I feel like, I don't mean to disrespect them, but like Anthony Smith, Thiago Santos, and maybe even Dominic Reyes. I felt like John overlooked those guys. He wasn't, he didn't want to rise to the occasion for them. But when he sees these guys like us, France Ngannou, Steve Miocic, he, as John said, these guys are here to kill. And like Ngannou, what's called, he doesn't even want to spend a minute in the octagon with his opponent. He wants to get out there in under 60 seconds. He's gone, Mr. Gone in 60 seconds. And I honestly think John Jones is going to know that. And I'll be very interested to see the first 60 seconds of those fights. I'll be interested to see, does John do his crawl across the octagon or what way he comes out? But um, I think John Jones, he's going to have to be focused and switch on there for the full 25 minutes when he gets in there. And it's going to be exciting to see. For it. So I have one last question before we move off heavyweights. Big John, you've been in there with some of the all-time greats. But who do you feel that you've been in there with and you've seen hits the hardest out of all the heavyweights? Oh, my God. As far as heavyweights. Wow. That's a, that's a good question. Um, there's been several guys that they just hit hard. But I would say Francis Ngannou is the guy that when he hits you. Now, there's differences. On the feet, Francis Ngannou is the scariest guy. Fedor is very close. Fedor is super fast with his hands. Fedor on the ground is the most damaging guy I've ever seen besides Derek Lewis now. Derek Lewis on the ground is a scary some bitch. He hurts people because he just throws everything into it. And, you know, those are the three guys I want to say, knockout power-wise, they're all incredible. And one last thing I actually will say, just as uh, we're talking about referees, I feel like Herb Dean unfairly got hit, criticized this weekend about not stopping that fight soon enough. In fairness, it was a bit of a strange shot that he caught him with the uppercut. And then it was very Dan Henderson, Michael Bisping-esque. But, you know, you can't actually, as the referee, be on top of the guy. You have to let them get in their scrambles, get their takedowns. He was he actually ran over and got over straight away. Derek Lewis <clears> just got those two punches in. Just a quick two-second take on that, John. Yeah. I, I look and, you know, everyone thinks it's easy. And everyone thinks fighting, oh, I can fight. Okay, you put, you put the average man into a fight, he looks like a... Uh, yeah, third grade school girl. All right, that's how bad it looks. And people think that they understand refereeing. They have no idea. There's times, and you know, Josh and I even went over this on our podcast as far as positioning and where you want to be. But there's times when you will actually take yourself out of what you think is the right technical mechanical position to see something that you see going on. 
And I think that's what, because Herb was on the side that he'd won. He went to the other side because I think he looked at, but blades fell away from him. And it makes it to where, hey, you can only react so fast. And, you know, Herb doesn't jump in between guys like some referees do. They'll put, you know, little Keith Peterson. He shoves his body in there like he's a gopher going between guys. Herb kind of uses his leg and his butt to push guys to the side. So everyone's got their own little style, but he did nothing wrong in that fight. It's just that Derek Lewis said that's Herb Dean's fault. No, he, he, he did something wrong, John. He was in the wrong spot. <laughs> Again, how many times I mean, did that guy referee? <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. And he, he, he messes up a lot more than people want to give him credit for. Yeah, there's, but, some, there's some mistakes. He's, we all do. He, do, he, does, he, does, he does do a phenomenal job. I like to give him a hard time. He's messed up a couple of times calling some of my fights. And so I'd like to give him a little bit of a hard time. But in that situation, I did. We did like John was saying. We did talk about it on our show, and I thought he, I, I thought he was in the wrong position because you and I have always talked about position, John, and where they should be in the open side and this and that. And I wanted to know what you thought. I thought he should have been on the other side because of the right hand and the power of Derek Lewis. But you're suggesting that he wants to see more of the other of the of the open side of, of the opponent of the person who has the more power because they will tend to sometimes fall backwards or fall forward, but fall, you know, not in the way that Curtis Blades fell. Because it was weird that he had came to that side, and then right before the knockout, he was on his way back to the other side, and then he got, and then Curtis Blades got knocked out. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, me and all poking fun, I was poking fun at him saying like, you know, that he was in the wrong side, which he, to my eyes, he was. But, <laughs> but, but, you know, in all fairness, though, like John, like you guys have all said, it's very hard. It's very hard to get there that fast and to believe that you can just jump right in there. If I was to put anybody else in there, you know, like, like John was saying, like an, an average person, they would, they couldn't sit still. They'd be bouncing around. They would have no idea what the hell they were doing. And a fighter's life would be a, a, in danger for sure. If you just put a random person in there because they wouldn't know when to stop it or they would stop it way too soon. The guy got hit. Oh, stop, stop, stop. People overreact sometimes in situations. These refs are put under a lot of pressure. And uh, in all fairness, I mean, I thought he did a great job in the Olympic fight. Was it him in the Olympic fight? Yeah, mm -hmm. in the Olympic fight. And then I also thought I thought he did a good job with the Derek Lewis fight. I put more of that on Derek Lewis, to be honest. Uh, Derek Lewis knew that he was out. Yeah. And I know you're supposed to wait until the fighter is is you know until the ref pulls you off. But Curtis Blades was out. Out. I mean, he hit him the second time. The first time when he went down, he was stiff. And then he hit him again for good measure. So I put a little bit of that on Derek Lewis. I know the rules. I know what the refs tell you. But I put a little bit of that on Derek Lewis. And I put a little bit of that on, on Herb Dean. So the two of them together, uh, I think, are a little bit out to blame. Hads, can I talk a bit about electricity in the octagon? How, how many times would you, uh, you two guys been in the octagon together? Like, obviously, Josh fighting and John, you repping. Well, John, the, John, you you ref my very first fight in the UFC. Yep. And then Gerald you ref my very last. You ref my very last fight in Bellator. Yes, that's true. You I also my refereed some fight fights in between there. But now yeah, I, 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 I was in the I was in the the cage with Josh probably about five times. See, I just want to know after someone gets a massive win and then you lift their arm, can you just like what do you feel when you're holding them? Like, is there like What's the, what's the what's the electricity like in the arena like you know i mean you're holding aloft the champion and everyone's applauding them and you're like you're taking it all in as well what, what's that like 
Uh, you know, I'm, I'm just totally honest. You're feeling really good for that guy, but you're feeling really bad for the other guy too. You know, you go in there and you should, you really have no emotion and very seldom. I did so many fights that people ask me all the time, were you excited? No, I wasn't. And but I, I can tell you the one time that I got a charge, you know, and then throughout my career, it was at UFC 40 when Shamrock and Tito Ortiz were going to fight. That was the time that because of the energy of the crowd, I didn't get a charge, but I realized the sport's going to make it. This is going to go. And I really felt confident at that point. But the one time that I got a charge was um, Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor uh, walked out. And as he was walking out, I felt this charge. And it was against Aldo because uh, it was a fight that was really highly anticipated. And I got this buzz that went up my spine. And I was like, what the hell was that, man? That hasn't happened in a long time. So uh, it, was, uh, it was good because it just tells you, man, you're alive and you're ready to go. And it lasted 13 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what about the time you ref um I think it was Chuck Liddell versus your man from Friends? Oh, you? dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, what, uh, uh, John, was, was that the the best atmosphere you'd been in as well? Because like you've been in so many, but was that was that number one? No, you know, I, I've again I've had so many great experiences, but the one that I really enjoyed, I mean just absolutely stood in the middle of the octagon. Well, not maybe not the middle, but more to the side, but stood there and was like, holy Christ, look at this was, I had, uh, I had asked for the, uh, Mark Hominick versus Jose Aldo fight. That was in the Toronto. Was the first, yeah. The first big fight that they had in Toronto is 55,000 people. And, you know, they had asked, they asked if I wanted the main event with George St. Pierre and Jake Shields. And I had ref, I think Jake Shields last four fights. And I go, Nope. I want that other fight. I think it's a better fight. That's the one I want. And they gave it to me. And Mark Hominick was, was walking out. And this is, it was important because Mark Hominick, along with a couple of guys, Sam Stout and Chris Hordesky, and they had a trainer that, you know, has passed and stuff. But he, uh, Sean Tompkins was a special guy. And it was so special that he was going to be uh, coming out. And he had never been able to fight, basically, in his home province. And he's walking out and it's playing the song, you know, I'm coming home. And they've got this like snow coming down with the Canadian flag and 55,000 people are going nuts. And I was like, this is the coolest shit ever. <laughs> and it was a good fight. Oh, it was. I was, I was, get, I was getting goosebumps right there when you were explaining me the snow coming down and the uh, Canadian flag. And, and um, one of the biggest, one of my, one of my, favorite fighters to ever watch was Mark Hominick. Clean. I mean, and it, it, it's not even so much that he was fun to watch, but if you ever met the kid, he's probably the, I mean, and I, 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 I hold Frankie Edgar at the highest level of standard, but Mark Hominick is right there with him. They just, their, their personalities, their, their sincereness of who they are as individuals and people just cannot be matched, man. The guy is just an absolute amazing person, Mark Hominick, Frankie Edgar. I mean, Sam Stout and Kurt, Chris Hordesky, those guys, they just, you if you were ever around them, they're just a great group of kids. Great group of kids. And, um, man, like, yeah, you gave me goosebumps hearing that little story there, John. I like that. Thanks. <laughs> that was awesome. Guys, what you make of the progression of the sport itself over the last 25 years? Because um, in Ireland, it, it wasn't really big. And then obviously like Connor absolutely just blew it out of the park, but like 
could you foresee that this was going to happen? It was going to get this big or like, is it just like Connor sort of slightly fast forwarded it or like, as in it was inevitably going to get this big. Oh, there's no doubt that Connor put it in fast forward. Yeah. I, I can remember back when we did the first show ever for the UFC at USC 72, which was in Ireland. And, uh, it was, you know, it was a good show. It had some, you know, decent fights. It had one of my favorite fights was Tyson Griffin against uh, Clay Guida. It was an awesome fight. But you could take a look at all of the people that, you know, in the UK, Michael Bisping was a big, you know, guy as far as he had won the Ultimate Fighter. And he was kind of the guy people were looking at. Because there was guys before him like Ian Freeman. You know, and he was, you know, well-liked. But, you know, not the greatest fighter. Tough guy, but not, you know, this incredible guy but connor was the guy he not only you'll get guys that can talk and you know we have a good friend in chael sonnen who's one of the greatest talkers there is legend legend but when it comes to the big fight he never comes through in it it always seems to elude him and so connor was the guy that he talked and talked well and always pointed out he was he was kind of honest in the way he would do it he would point out his opponent's flaws he would point out their weaknesses and he would say, you know, I'm going to touch that chin. You know, it's, it's you, you've been getting hurt. You're going to your left and you're trying to avoid it. And he's saying all these things and he was accurate with it. And not only did he, you know, do the talk, then he walked the walk. He went out and he performed. And when you can do both of those things, you get people behind mm-hmm. you. But it was also his, you know, the, the, the phrases that he came up, you know, we're not here to take part. We're here to take over that just. That, that fired people up and he got an entire country behind him at one point that you look and you go, it's just amazing. Yeah. Because if you don't, if like, if you're not really aware of like the Irish culture, like a lot of Irish people will sort of run themselves down a bit or they, 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 they'd never be braggadocious in any sort of way. So when like myself and Ross saw an Irishman talk to talk and walk to walk, like our minds are blown, Ross. And then Ross, Ross, tell the lads. Yeah, what, really, what, really, really was. Ross, tell the lads what it's like, what it's been in our, like living in Ireland ever since like Connor blew up the scene. Because uh, I, I doubt the lads know exactly. So, actually, over in Ireland, and like every person you went to the lecture wasn't there. Dana White gave a speech. They just go, "When are you signing Connor McGregor?" And that's all that was said to him. Uh, he then went and knocked out Ivan Bunchinger and became a uh, two-time Cage Warriors champion. And his first sort of fight in the UFC, he knocked out Marcus Brimage and there was the 60 Gs and everyone was like, that, that was really, really cool. And people were on board with it. And then um, people then started like, they just started, everyone started becoming their own little version of Conor McGregor. Everyone had, you know, the slick back ponytail. Everyone, like you walk into a Dublin nightclub and everyone has a waistcoat with a dicky <laughs> bow on. And it, it was absolutely ridiculous. You know what I mean? I, I, in fairness, I actually think I donned a dicky bow in a nightclub at one stage. It was uh, it was the thing to do. And like, you know, everyone wanted to tell everyone, you will do nothing. You know what I mean? Like that's, a, that, that's all, all people uh, wanted to say. And th- just like his phrases became an everyday in Ireland, to be honest. It was insane. Well, here, the thing is, is I don't like to give a lot of, I don't want to pat him on the back too much. I'm not, I'm not talking about Connor. I'm talking about Michael Bisbing. I feel like Michael Bisbing, like John was saying, he kind of opened the door, not just for UK fighters, but he opened the door for a lot of international fighters. 
because we already had Brazilians, we already had uh, Japanese, we already had Americans all fighting, you know, in Pride, in in the UFC, and other, any other organization, the WEC. There was already fighters that were there that had already fought from those countries. And it was very rare to find somebody like, um, you know, that could really make a splash from another country. Uh, I want to say, what was his name from Australia? John George Stopanopoulos or... George, yeah, George. George, yeah. So George, he kind of was trying to make it a little bit of a splash. Never really got there. But I'm saying, with when you're talking about guys like Michael Bisping, had the chatty mouth. He was uh, didn't like didn't like to be pushed in the Ultimate Fighter. You know, uh, Matt Hamill and him got into it a couple times. There was there was some some things that catapulted him into it. Then the other guy that was was never really mentioned is Dan Hardy. Dan Hardy was like the first guy I think outside of Michael Bisping that brought that brash, almost Conor McGregor-esque kind of like uh, talking conversation and post-fight interviews and the Mohawk, the red Mohawk, and his fighting style was fun. And he could back it up. That was the other thing. He could back it up. Um, they kind of came before, but what, but what, to answer your guys' question in terms of, did you think in 25 years where we would be right now? Like Conor sure catapulted it up there. But I think what they saw from Michael Bisbeing and Dan Hardy was that all we need to do is find one star in every country and we can blow up in that country. And let's just make that person a star. And that's what they've done. Wei Li Zhang, you know, you've got her now over there and she's just blowing up in China. They're talking about doing more shows in China now. Um, you know, you've got obviously Connor, you know, um, they're, they're, they're making their way through the world. You got Khabib in Russia. They're making their way through the world, trying to find, you know, one star in every country so they can make this a worldwide brand. And people want to talk about the, um, I know I'm going to go off topic here a little bit, John, is they want to talk about the Ali Act. But if you implement the Ali Act, now you're taking away the ability to make all, to make a star in every country kind of, because now that champion can go anywhere they want and become a star somewhere else instead of making stars where they, right there in, in the UFC. So it's a little bit of a, a catch 22, I think by trying to implement a union and, a, and all the act and all those lines. But I think the UFC has found the format for how to build some, how to build stars in every country. And it, it started, I got, I got, I got to say it started with Michael Bisping and Dan Hardy. And I think you've got a little bit of that Darren Till now he's, he's kind of taking the place of, of Michael Bisping and Dan Hardy. And you've got Vittori, you've got other guys that are coming up that are kind of like becoming stars by the way that they talk. And that's not over the top, but it's it's directed to the point and very energetic for the crowds to support and get behind. Yeah, I suppose you also have a few boy nationality champions as well. Like you even if you look at uh, Izzy, you know what I mean? Uh, he's New Zealand and he's uh, Nigeria as well. Uh, Kamaru is obviously America. Yeah, I, I think I, I think uh, you know if, if you confuse Ireland and England, the Irish fans will let you know all about it. But I, I feel like UFC just throws any of the Australia or New Zealand guys on the same card and says yeah. same difference. No, um, no. and uh, there's definitely a difference there. But you're so right with uh, these different nationality stars. Like you have Ngannou in France. You have, um, like I said, Vittori in Italy. You have. Till you have Amanda Nunes in Brazil, 
You know what I mean? Once you have all these stars coming from all over the world, you know what I mean? It really does resonate with that home country and it gets a big interest in there. Like we have Katie Taylor, uh, who fights for uh, what's called Boxer Fights for Ireland. Pound for pound, number one female boxer in the world. And I, I always yeah. say she's uh, Ireland's greatest ever sports star. And that, that includes the notorious one. She's undefeated and she's undisputed world champion, Olympic gold medalist as well. So like... Ireland loves to get behind our own, and I'm sure most countries do. But I think we're just a bit louder when it comes to our own. Well, uh, you, well, you guys I, felt. I, I will. I will tell you guys the greatest crowds ever are in Ireland. Yes. Unbelievable! Unbelievable! We it just shared. We just shared a video the other day of Peter Queeley walking out at Bellator Dublin the oh, last one, and it was unbelievable. It's I can't. Awesome. I can't. I can't. Like I can't even believe that's real because you, you you can't even yeah. go anywhere wearing a mask these days and to believe everyone was singing in harmony it was unbelievable it was magic it was magic well, you know what one of the things one of the things that josh is talking about with you know the champions from all the different countries that's what has helped the ufc really expand at this time you're looking you go if you got the females you got you know Weili zhang then you've got valentina shevchenko and you've got amanda new we're, we're talking about china russia and brazil you get into the men same thing, you know, at 125, you got Brazil. At 135, you've got Russia. At 145, you got Australia. 155, it was Dagestani, Russia. Now we'll see what it's going to be. But you go up to 170 with Usman, who is from the U.S., but Nigerian background. Then you had Izzy at 185. You've got Poland with, you know, Blahovich at light heavyweight. And then Stipe and American. You don't, it's not, it's, it used to be all Americans or all Brazilians. Mm -hmm. Now yeah. it is worldwide where these people are coming from, and it has made a huge difference. Guys, can you explain how come America haven't got like the face of American MMA? I know Chris Wyman was like very up to very recently, but the way the way like obviously Bisping will be in England or like obviously Connor here in Ireland, like how come America hasn't got that like the face? Too many different sports. Too many no. different sports stars and not the person who is able to go. And, you know, Americans are kind of, you know, they're finicky. They want that person who's unbeatable. They want that person who, oh, they don't lose. Everyone's going to lose. I don't care. In MMA, everyone's going to lose. It's not boxing. Boxing, you can always be, you can be that Floyd Mayweather and you can have the right opponents that you pick and you can be so phenomenally technically good and athletic that you can get through a career, you know, managing it and, never losing MMA. There's too many ways to lose too many varieties in there. And too many things that if you don't cover those bases in your training for that opponent, he can catch you with them. So I always look uh, at it. It's that's the big deal. I'm going to agree and disagree with John is that he always does. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to agree with him and disagree with them though. All in one breath. Um, what it is, is John was right. Is they want a person who is undefeated. They want the best person. But what it is, is they'll support any other person in the world over an American if that person is better than them. Now, it won't happen all the time, but almost 99% of the time, like that's when, when people, I don't want to get into politics, but the Amer Americans, they don't care where you're from. They just want to support the best person. And that's it. They don't care. They want, they, you don't want to say, you know what? I knew, I knew that guy. Or I knew who I caught. Everyone, Americans supported more of Conor McGregor than I think as many people were in Ireland. I mean, they, that's, yeah. that's how many more Amer Americans were like Conor McGregor, Conor McGregor. They didn't care if he was fighting an American. I don't give a shit. 
They didn't care. They wanted Conor McGregor to win because Conor McGregor was the winner. That's it. They, oh, they don't think- care. Americans don't care if you're from America. They care about being being affiliated winner. or associated with the winner. That's it. I did think Chris Boydman was like the one chance of America actually getting behind Americans. And then once he lost, they were like, nah, they were like, actually, Luke Rockhold is quite handsome. I like him too. (laughs) (laughs) If you had to, if you had to like pick, like build your own, like Mr. Captain America or Mrs. America, like what would they need to do? Would they need to be like an Olympic gold medalist? Like what, what, what did he really need to do? Cause I'm sure there's a few Americans checking this out now that want to be the star of America. Like what did they, what did they need to do? They would need to follow GSP's format. Whatever GSP did, they would need to follow that format. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, Americans with with Floyd Mayweather, they can follow one of two. They can follow Floyd Mayweather's right, where people would they only tuned in to watch him lose. They didn't really tune in to watch him win. They didn't like Floyd. Like even to this day, people don't like Floyd. Uh, but they more people bought the pay per view to see if they could watch him lose. You could take that approach. Or you can take the GSP Oscar De La Hoya approach. When Oscar, he was charismatic, but very soft-spoken. Um, always said the right thing and the positive thing. Uh, people follow that. But the number one thing that they both had in common, whether it was Floyd Mayweather, GSP, Oscar De La Hoya, was that they won. And that doesn't, it doesn't mean anything unless you win. And I've, I've said this forever. John knows this. Is winning solves everything. If you keep winning, people will follow you. Don't worry about all the other little shit. And as you get more publicity, everything that you everything that you say will be put under a magnifying glass. So just make sure you figure out what you want to say before you become a superstar. Do you want to be the heel like Floyd Mayweather and Josh Koscheck? Okay. Or do you or do you want to be the, the GSP and the Oscar De La Hoya when they were, you know, in their prime and then successful and, and growing to be the biggest stars, you know, that the sports have seen? What you have to make your choice. It doesn't, and sometimes they won't take you and accept you, you know, as a nice person. So then that's when you turn heel. John Jones was trying to be that, that, that nice person, and it wasn't him. It just wasn't him. So he just said, you know what? <laughs> Screw it. Are you I'm sure? Go Are you sure it wasn't him? I'm going to go wreck my Bentley, and I'm going to go hang out with strippers, and I'm going to go do that stuff, you know? But in the end, he became the heel, and I think that catapulted him even more than what he was before, you know, in a, in a crappy light. But people now sometimes tune in to watch John lose versus to watch John win. And he's kind of taking that. Yeah, the perfect, perfect, right? Perfect, the perfect example of this and what Josh Obi. is talking about is Henry Cejudo. This oh, is a guy. Cringe. Well, you take a look, man. Olympic gold medalist. Okay, yeah. phenomenal wrestler. that comes into MMA and is knocking people out. He's standing up. He loses two times. He beats the very best pound-for-pound guy in Demetrius Johnson to take the 125-pound title. He then goes and beats the guy who was the 135-pound champion in TJ Dillashaw, and it just wasn't resonating with the public. And and this guy is phenomenal. He's a great guy, super nice guy. And finally, he goes to that, okay, I'll flip. I'll go from being the baby face to being the heel, and he turns in this triple C and the – the, you know, the, the king of cringe and whatever, <laughs> but then he leaves. And so he kind of left the UFC in a place where, I, you know, he's coming back. It's just a matter of when and against who, but that's a guy that, you know, he figured out, Hey, I'm going to make more money. If, if people think that I'm a jerk, okay, I'll, I'll be that guy that, you know, yeah. makes people cringe, but he's the perfect example here in the U S it's tough to get over. Yeah. 
I don't know. Like, uh, I just don't think uh, they have the right form form now. I think, well, first of all, there's far too many guys who get the mic put in front of their face at the end of the fight and go, oh, I'll just fight anyone, whoever's next, you know, someone in the top 10, maybe. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, like Charles Hollins has a perfect, you know what I mean? You need to pick your, your shot and you need to shoot it after your fight. It's the one time you get a chance to call your shot and saying, whoever the UFC wants me to fight next is not the answer. You need to pick someone in the top 15, pick someone in the top 10, you know, and once you say their name, you know, egos come into play and people don't like their name being called out. And that generates a bit of heat for a fight. Have you guys, have you guys ever talked to Shale? Uh, we uh, met him at Bellator 200. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm saying, look, so look with Chael, right? And the situation with Chael Sonnen is that the reason why this 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 uh, bad guy personality came out was he realized he had just got a win. I don't even know what UFC it was. He was telling me the story. He realized he got a win. And when he got up to the presser, nobody asked him any questions. No one cared. He's like, I, he's all, I, I'm winning these fights now. He's like, I've had like a two or three fight win streak. Not one person asked him one question. So he just was like, you know what? Screw this. So he just started doing the whole bad guy thing. And within seconds, within seconds of him doing it in, in, in a couple interviews, he blew up. People loved it. And it just catapulted his career into that position where he is now. I mean, you got to think in terms of in terms of guys, right? He worked for Bellator. He also worked for ESPN and he works for the USC all at the same time. Tell me what other guy could do that. You. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that, Dana ain't allowing me to go anywhere near the UFC. <laughs> but, but it's, you know what I mean? Like, it's that, it's that thing that he did when he decided, like, one day, I'm just going to flip this switch. I'm going to go ahead and play the heel. And he did. And everyone knows he's not the heel. I don't know if you guys have ever really met him and talked with him, but oh, he nice is not the heel. He is one of those super nice kind of nerdy nice guys you know i mean versus what you guys see in reality and it's it's fun man he's a he's a really good guy i love being around him man and uh, it was it was it's always fun to work you know side by side with him that's just a couple of more things before we get like uh before we get into bellator coming back and uh i'm telling you we can't wait for that but the thing is right Obviously, during the coronavirus, like everything got shut down, and then Dana pulled off like the most ultimate masterstroke in creating Fight Island. First of all, creating the buzz about it, but then actually delivering and then putting on some of the greatest fights that we'll probably ever see. Well, hopefully, there's better ones to come. But like, can like uh, John, like you, you obviously, you obviously know Dana very well. Like, can you believe he was even able to pull this off? Oh yeah, and the reason why you got to go. Well, this is why he. And you can go, and he he did a whole video thing, and I got pissed at him. He went and did something that he was he was screwing up during this coronavirus thing. When, you know, Bellator pulled a show, and that was back at March 13th of 2020, and there was a UFC in Brazil, in Brasilia, on the 14th. They had that show. They took away the crowd, but, you know, didn't have any testing or anything like that. Exactly. And then you go, and he had the fight with Tony... Ferguson against Khabib that he wanted and that was scheduled for April and he was saying this fight's going to happen and he then went he went off the rails in actually going and trying to book it at a location that was basically he was it was being illegal he was trying to do it on an Indian reservation they didn't have regulation he was going to self-regulate it the California State Athletic Commission was saying we will have nothing to do with this the state of California was saying you we don't want you to do it it finally got shut down but from that point, when he went to Florida, 
And this is before, you know, he had the Fight Island thing. You got to understand the Fight Island thing took place years ago, back when Lorenzo Fertitta, who was the, the brains behind the UFC, his brother Frank being a half owner with Lorenzo, and they gave, you know, Dana that little section. Then they decided to sell 5%, 5% from Lorenzo, 5% from Frank, and 1% from Dana. So it was 11% total to Flash Entertainment, which was located in Abu Dhabi. They got a relationship there. That relationship blossomed, and it was that relationship that was spawned by Lorenzo Fertitta that gave Dana the ability to go back to the Abu Dhabi government and say, hey, is there anything? They had Yaz Island. Yaz Island was being shut down, and they said, you know what? We think we can do something. Let's see. And then all of a sudden, Fight Island came about. You know, it wasn't that, Oh, they made an island for the UFC. It yeah. was there, but it wasn't being used. And it was that relationship that was initiated by Lorenzo Fertitta. That's what created Fight Island, and it has worked for the UFC today. Look at Lorenzo Fertitta, people, he was the guy in the background. He wanted to be the guy in the background. He didn't want to be out front a lot. He was the brains behind everything that has occurred in the UFC. When they lost Lorenzo, they lost a ton. And John, was that was was that bit back to UFC 112? Was it when uh, Silva fought Maya and believe it or not, was it Frankie Edgar beat BJ Penn? That's right. That was, that was the first the- fight that they had, and that fight occurred in Abu Dhabi based upon that exchange when they sold part of the UFC to Flash Entertainment, and that relationship started to blossom at that point. Knowledge flex by me. Yeah, but <laughs> like that. <laughs> Guys, like before, before we went into like coronavirus and like we we're living the coronavirus lifestyle, I myself and Ross we were obviously doing the show, and so were you lads. Um, and like Bellator would be on the same nights as UFC sometimes, and like it'd be difficult to watch both, yada yada yada. But now that Bellator has now found a home on Friday nights, and UFC is on a Saturday night, like how much better is that for the mixed martial arts itself? I think I, for me personally, it's just going to help the sport grow. The other thing as well is that we, as, as Bellator, we, we work for them, but we also understand the importance of not stepping on each other's dicks. And that's really what it comes <laughs> down to is you, it you don't want to, you don't, you don't want to hinder the sport from growing and people will follow who they want to follow, but we want to give them an opportunity. We want to get them an opportunity and a chance to follow our guys as much as the UFC wants to give their their guys and their girls, their female fighters to, um, to be, to be followed as well. And so when you're talking about them on us on Friday, like when we, I loved that we were all on Thursday night on CBS sports. I loved it because we knew that it gave a day, it gave fighters, it gave not fighters, it gave fans a day of rest on Friday to go do whatever they wanted. And then two back in on Saturday to the UFC if they wanted to watch that. So I loved it because if you think about it, right, the only conflict that we would have really had ever with Thursday night, was the NFL, and that was on Thursday Night Football. And you have that, 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 that problem with that situation. But at least on Friday, we don't have that problem anymore. And having two big, big nights of fights, Friday and Saturday nights, you know, it's is great for me. The other thing as well is if I'm going to go out, right, if I'm going to go out to a nightclub or do anything, I don't normally go out on Friday as much as I go out on Saturday because I know Saturday I have all day to rest. I mean, Saturday, but I have all day Sunday just to rest and lay around – some friends work late on Friday night. 
Like it just, for me, Friday night tonight, if I'm going to come home and I'm going to watch something on TV, it's going to be Friday night. And Saturday night is, you know, and don't get me wrong. They, a lot of people will continue to watch, you know, the UFC on Saturday nights, but I feel like it's a good step in the right direction for Showtime to be on Friday nights for Bellator. Saturday night will probably be the UFC or any other boxing event. That's the other thing. Boxing events will generally occur on Saturday night. Showtime boxing might be on Saturday night, which will conflict with the UFC. And the fact is, is that we, they will kind of still take some of their viewership away because boxing fans do watch MMA. And, but boxing fans are more loyal to boxing than they are MMA. And so they will still some of their fans from their viewership. Whereas on Friday night, we very rarely will have boxing or you will very rarely see boxing on a Friday night unless it's a massive UFC fight or a massive football game on a Saturday night. Like some of the playoffs this year for football, American football, by the way, um, it, that they were on Saturday nights. Some of them are on Saturday during the day, during the playoffs, Saturday day, Saturday night. And so unless it conflicts with that, then I think, I think you're going to see Bellator's stardom and star power for these uh, younger athletes that have not been able to get a lot of recognition lately. That now that we have a home on Showtime, they'll start to get more recognition. Plus, it gives all the, the casual fans an opportunity to see it on Friday, the, the Bellator fights, and it gives the, the other fans a chance to see them on um, UFC on Saturday night. Yeah. No, it is, I thought it was a great move. Myself and Ross would agree as well because obviously the time zones and having it on Friday night and then Saturday, Saturday night. And then you know yourself, lads, like if, if, you were, if you're working a desk on, uh, at the Bellator event while UFC is on as well, it, it's, just, it's just a bit of a mess when you have to go back over everything as well. But um, <clears throat> no, no, it's like once Bellator announced that they were coming back, it was just very, very exciting. And like, um, like the, you, know, you know the way it is here. Like for everyone that's gone to a Bellator Dublin event, they've fallen in love with it, full stop. That's, yeah, that's the other thing is and I tell people this, John knows this, is that you have to go to these events. Yeah. Okay. If when you, if you get an opportunity, a chance, you need to go to a Bellator event. You need to go to a UFC event. I encourage everyone to go watch MMA live. You guys have no concept, no clue. The, the normal fan at home that watches it on their TV box, they have no clue what it's like to be there live watching these fights. It's the energy of the crowd, especially like if you're in Ireland, get the hell out of here, man. Like you'd be missing out on a lifelong experience to tell your friends for, for decades, your grandchildren, how amazing it is to hear a group of, you know, 10,000 people all sing in unison. Like, come on. These are things that people need to understand. It's one thing to watch it on TV, but it's another thing to be there live in person. 100%. I, I actually have friends here in the States that are waiting for the next Bellator event in Dublin, Ireland. They're gonna, yeah. they're gonna get tickets. They're gonna fly out there because I've told them you have got to experience it, and they're all just waiting for it because it's something that you just can't explain until someone has been there and seen it. Then you can talk about it. Yeah, I, I think when you really think back and look at Peter Queeley versus Ryan Scope in Dublin, um, you know Peter Queeley comes out first, Ryan Scope comes out. No one knows what his walkout song is. All you can continue to hear is zombie play in the background. Ryan Scope puts it on Peter Creeley, and then in one of the most amazing comebacks of all time, yeah. Peter Creeley comes back and finishes Ryan Scope. Is probably one of the greatest mixed martial arts comebacks under the Bellator banner of all time. And he literally blew the roof off, his play, off the place. He etched his name in Irish MMA folklore history. 
Yeah, I would have to say it's probably one of the best comebacks in MMA history, period. I'm not just being that. I'm not saying that because of the homer. I called that fight, and I'm sitting there just in disbelief that Ryan Scope gassed himself out trying to put him away and just couldn't find it in his gut to survive the rest of that, that rest of that round. I was in just such disbelief. I was like, I can't believe this is happening. And the other thing as well is I've, I'm one of those fighters that fought a lot in San Jose. And for him to be able to do that in Ireland, in Dublin, like it, he'll never, ever forget that moment no. ever in his life. That will be in his mind, probably the greatest moment of his, his whole life. I mean, outside of probably having kids his and whole career. Like <laughs> his of whole course. career. Yeah, his whole career. Guys, like obviously we have a lot of Irish uh, people that watch watch our stuff. Is there something that you can tell them that like Bellator have planned or something they can look out for for the next Bellator Dublin? Right now, I don't think Josh or I know when the next Bellator in Dublin is going to be. You know, the whole thing with COVID really changed the scope of what was going on and, and where they're doing it. I think right now they're talking about bringing, you know, the really good Irish fighters that they have signed, guys like Gallagher, you know, BDK, uh, Peter Queeley. These guys are probably going to be coming over in the first half of the year to fight here in the U.S. at what they call the fight sphere at the Mohegan Sun because you got to get those guys fights because, you know, that's, you know, important to keep them going. Uh, but they're going to go back there because they, they, as a company, Bellator loves Dublin, Ireland. They love the fighters there. They have a great relationship with John Cavanaugh there and the other gyms that are there, Andy and uh, all of them. It's, it's a special place that I think that Bellator right now, other than Conor McGregor, they own pretty much Ireland. You know, and they have a great relationship with them, so they want to go back. Yeah, yeah we sure. we we always joke that uh, Scott Coker runs all those decisions by John Kavanaugh before he actually decides <laughs> what he's doing. He might. Yeah, yeah. well, and well then, he, he has a seat at the table anyway. <laughs> yeah, and like Dane even took notice of that, like put trying to put Till against Whitaker in Dublin as well. Like that, like that turned out to be an unbelievable fight. But that, like, he was setting up a really really good card. But um, now Bellator are doing great things over here. They've they've. Like, uh, what would you say, Ross? Well, what's Bellator done to Irish MMA? Well, I think I think they've just given a lot of Irish fighters a platform to to fight. And put it this way, you know, what I mean, since Conor McGregor's sort of retired, unretired, retired, unretired, and also he's too big of a name to put it in the three arena. They're not going to do an outdoor show in Ireland because of the weather. And then also, like we seen it with um, Michael Bisping when he fought Dan Henderson. Um, I think it was UFC two hundred four that, you know, they had the fight on at like four or five o'clock in the morning, British time for the American pay-per-views. And like there were, we saw photos, like the audience were asleep at that time. It was four or five o'clock in the morning. Like like, what do you expect? So if you want Conor McGregor to headline a pay-per-view, which of course you want Conor McGregor to headline a pay-per-view, you're going to have to have him fight in Ireland at four or five o'clock in the morning because the pay-per-view boys are still on Vegas time. So it's never going to happen. It just won't. Guys, you got to make sure there's at least one Irish person on on every card, and then like you'll have you'll have the whole country checking it out. Like anytime any Irish person's doing anything from chess to fighting, they'll they'll be they'll, they'll get a massive like like support. They'll they just will. Well, yeah. One of the things you know, the Irish fighters are just guys fighting out of Ireland because there's a lot. You know, the Pedro Carvalhos, who is from Portugal but fights out of SPG, or uh, Franz uh, Malambo is another one, yeah. but the Irish fighters have performed and you got guys, you know, no one knew who Will Flurry was before, 
But when Will Fleury goes out, man, he's had one fight where he wasn't able for. Other than that, man, he has put on some great fights. Mm. And so, and Brian Moore, another his one. His boxing, beautiful. Oh yeah, and yeah. you talk about you talk about putting combinations together because combinations in MMA start to become a rare thing. And you look at what Brian Moore is doing. It's he's awesome. He is fun to watch. The Pikeman is someone I I love to watch. He is that, great. That uppercut is sensational. Oh. Sensational. Yep, dude. He looks like Canelo when he throws it. Yeah. Oh, he, he actually he actually put up a post the other day of him and Canelo doing the same combination side by side. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> well, guys, let's get let's get into April. You know, Bellator's big return. Uh, what do you guys make of the light heavyweight tournament, and who's your early favorite to win it? Go, John. Uh, um, I mean, realistically, my early favorite is is Nemkov, is the Bellator champion. My early favorite right now is him. He's riding off of a huge win over Ryan Bader, who is also the Bellator heavyweight champ. Um, I think the three years and look, and I'm an Anthony Johnson, I'm an Anthony Rumble Johnson fan, like to the to the T, to the top of of the top. I'm one of his biggest fans. Um, but he's been off for over three years. And to think that he's going to come back and he's going to have a barn burner of a fight against somebody, who, even though he's 44 years old, Joel Romero, but he's been active at 44 years old. And let's be real. He's probably about 32. Okay. Yeah, well, when, you look, when you look at that body, you say 28. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hate him because of the way he looks. Yeah. So <laughs> no. when you put, when you put the two of those guys together and then the winner of that's going to advance on. And I think it's going to be against Nemkov and the winner of Nemkov and, um, uh, Bill, Bill Davis. Davis. Bill Davis. Bill Davis. And so the winner of that fight. But I would say that Nemkov is the favorite. The one thing that concerns me a little bit with Nemkov is that we saw it in the Phil Davis first fight is that he's extremely good for the first three rounds. But as that third round comes around, he starts kind of slowing down a little bit <clears throat> to the point where guys that have great conditioning will push the pace on him and be a little bit more active and wrestle and make him wrestle, make him work, make him. You know, make him uh, make him work too much to the point where he the output is not there anymore. And John will speak on this: is that he's he's ref? Did you ref his, that fight that he had had a long, long time ago where he was so tired? Yep. <laughs> and so, yeah, John will talk to you guys about that as well. Is that he just he's got to learn? I think hopefully he's learned during this time on how to conserve his energy or pick and choose his shots on when to be explosive and fast. And when to when when it's the importance is to get up off the bottom, when the importance is to slow down your activity from the bottom if you are on bottom. Um, I think his wrestling his sambo, his judo, all of that stuff together makes him the favorite. He if he was to have a hard time, it would be with probably Yoel Romero out of everyone. Um, I give I give uh, Nemkov a little bit of an advantage over uh, Anthony Johnson, and even though Anthony's my, one of my closest friends. But I would get because of the wrestling aspect, I'd give him a hard time. I can give Nimkov a hard time against uh, Yoel because he's not going to be able to take him down. He's going to have to make sure that he keeps his chin tucked and doesn't take big shots from Yoel and not try to over push the, the pace of the fight. Um, but let's not forget about Corey Anderson. Corey Anderson's long, lanky, fast, way faster than I had ever thought he was until I saw him fight Melvin Manoff in person. He was extremely fast. And I, it really threw me off the fact that he was that fast and his wrestling, his, his control and his top position, he would be the next guy that I think is a little bit, is, is a little bit of a dark horse, but Nemkov, I think to me is favored. 
Um, and then I would say Corey's probably next. And then you're going to go with Yoel and Anthony probably after that somewhere in there. And then Machida and Ryan and Bader, you know, in that other corner. I'm going to lean towards Namkov being the favorite, though, just to be honest. I agree John? with you. I, I agree with uh, Josh. I think the two favorites, in my opinion, looking at the entire lineup, and I love Rumble. And Rumble can like, Rumble can win this thing in three fights uh, with three 15-second knockouts. He's got that kind of power, okay? Let's just be honest. Anthony has – he has that scary power like what we were talking about with a Francis Ngannou or a uh, Derek Lewis. So he has the ability to touch someone and to put them out of the fight. That can happen at any point. But that's not an easy thing to do. And I would tell you that, in my opinion, Nemkov has gotten so much better. What Josh was talking about, his fight with uh, Yuri Prozeska was in Ryzen. I did it. And he beat Yuri to a pulp. But it's a 10-minute round. And at the end of the round, with 9 minutes and 30 se 35 seconds you know, gone of the round, there's 25 seconds left, he's exhausted. Yuri basically turns him over and then starts hitting him a couple times. The, the round ends. And he was so exhausted he couldn't get up because he did not know how to fight as far as he couldn't control his pace. He didn't know when to take those seconds to take that deep breath and then come back. He was this all forward, 100%, let me go get rid of this guy fighter because that's what had worked for him before this fight. He had never fought that guy that he couldn't get rid of. And then exhaustion was what beat him. And he's learned from it, but Josh is right. He is a fast twitch muscle fiber athlete. He needs to be able to control the pace for him to be able to not get tired. If someone's able to push him in areas, he can get tired. And I think Phil Davis knows that off of his first fight. So I think Phil Davis is a tough fight for Namkoff in the first round. I think on the other side, looking at it, Bader and Machida is going to be a good fight. I think it's going to be a different fight than the first time. I think Corey Anderson is going to get rid of his opponent. And in the end, Corey Anderson, I think, is going to be the guy against Nemkov. And that is a pick em fight because they're both, when Corey's able to fight the way he is meant to fight, meaning using his wrestling at times, not being this boxer, not being a guy that's standing there looking for a knockout because he wants to satisfy the matchmakers. He doesn't have to do that anymore. All he has to do is go out and win. His wrestling, Nemkov's wrestling, his stand-up, Nemkov's stand-up, they match up incredibly well. They're both super fast. It that's a pick 'em fight. I think those are your two finalists. Nice. Uh, I'll give you a more quick rundown. Uh, first of all, I think the deck is absolutely stacked against Nemkov. Yeah, like he he's got he's got the absolute murderer's row to <laughs> uh, retain that belt. Like Phil Davis in the first round, you know, you want to split sitting last time. Now, who's to say if Phil Davis can secure an early takedown in each round, he's a hard man to get up off your back against. Um, like to be honest, I think that's almost a pick 'em fight. But uh, I would slightly lean towards Nemkov. I think his striking is that bit crisper. Um, in the next Rumble versus Romero, you know, I think Glover's chair is still looking for his tooth in the bleachers uh, <laughs> from the time they fought. Yeah. So uh, look, I think eventually Rion Romero's chin will eventually have to give way. I think it could, Rumble could be the man to make his chin give way. Uh, I'm really hot on Corey Anderson. Um, sort of on his way out of the UFC, I thought, you know, him versus Jan Blachowicz was a pick and fight. And I thought the winner of that was like definitely 
ha- had their hat in the ring for best 205 or outside of John Jones. Uh, I actually know next to nothing about his opponent. I was actually disappointed Gegard Mousasi wasn't in this tournament uh, as an extra. And then Bader versus Machida. I do sort of fancy Machida uh, to get the win again. Just, I don't know. I also feel like there's a bit of pressure on Bader being the heavyweight champion. If he loses, he goes 0-2 in his last two fights. So, I don't know. I think he'll be a bit tentative in there. And I don't think you can be tentative against the older Machida. So, I think... You know, Machida Anderson, I'll pick Anderson. And then Rumble versus Nemkov, I'll probably pick Nemkov. And then I'm going to go for Corey Anderson to, to win right. the belt. I, I feel like I feel like he, in his whole career, he's had doubters. And I feel like he finally has a chance to prove them wrong. Yeah, also it goes to, when you look at the brackets, like the least dangerous side, if you could even call it that, is obviously the Bader, Machida, Anderson. And um, yeah, least damage Corey Anderson could get, actually get into the final. Nemkov, like could get there with some serious damage. Yeah. I, you know what I haven't heard yet? I haven't heard either one of you guys pronounce that guy's name that's fighting Corey Anderson. Go ahead, give it a try. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I tried to do it last week. It was so difficult. Like I was stuttering for a week. I also noticed you and you you and John who called the fight also tried to evade his name. So maybe you, oh. you should uh, as the experts should uh, give it give it a go. I just call him Yuri Shigidov Dolodov, which is totally wrong, but like yeah. you know I'm gonna give I'm gonna give him a nickname. I'm gonna stick with it, man. That's it. That's all he's getting from me. It, it, it like that it when the Grand Prix was announced to come back, that that was very exciting. But like there was talks about a bantamweight Grand Prix coming back as well. Um, was there like were, was stuff moving and like were were things about to happen or and it just didn't go through or is that something to look forward to in the future? I think it's definitely something you're gonna look forward to in the future. I think that. What happened was I, I do believe they were looking towards that 135. They were also looking at 125 for the women for a while. But the 135s was definitely in the game plan as far as what they're doing. And then they made those signings. They got Corey Anderson all of a sudden. Then they got, you know, Rumble Johnson. They knew that that was in the back burner. And then all of a sudden they decided, okay, we're going to pick up UL Romero because he'll go to 205. Man, we've got to do this. We especially yeah. when you're looking at the UFC's light heavyweights right now. If you, if you insert John Jones into the UFC's light heavyweight division, it becomes the best light heavyweight division in the sport based upon John Jones. He's been that guy that's been there, done that, and is basically undefeated. You take him out and put him in the heavyweights, and now you have Jan Blahovich, who's a great fighter, You've got guys like Dominic Reyes. You've got some other, you know, people in that realm with the light heavyweights. But Bellator has a very good uh, good stance in saying, hey, our light heavyweights are better than yours. I, th- I think and- you put it this way, John. If you say, if you take, obviously, John Jones out of the 205 and then we're to rank the next best 10 heavyweight, light heavyweights in the world, you could argue Bellator would have more fighters in the yes. top 10 than UFC. That's exactly <laughs> it. So for Bellator to say, well, I'm going to do a 135 tournament when I can now really show off the 205, I think they made the right move with going to 205. Yeah. I also think that that, that move had to be made um, for a big splash. The fact that they did sign all the heavier guys. Most people will want to tune in and watch the heavier guys fight in the big splash for Showtime to splash onto the, the Showtime network. Is hey, we have <clears throat> you've got Rumble, you've got Yoel, you've got Nemkov, you've got Corey Anderson, you got Ryan Bader, Phil Davis, Leonardo Machida. The name value is there. 
has already been created and these fighters are all new to uh, a couple of them are new to Bellator, but why not just now that we're on Showtime, you know, potentially of being on CBS, let's go ahead and just explode into this with a big 205 pound tournament. And it is weren't actually at that event, by the way, because we saw the morning combat guys were there and it was like, oh, you had the B team, but had the A team. (laughs) (laughs) It's exactly right. Oh my God. Nothing wrong with Luke Thomas and Brian Campbell. Great guys. But you're talking junior varsity. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? What's it called? I actually love those shows. Those guys as well. I actually love Morning Combat as well. But I was like, oh, Big John and Josh. I was like, a little bit more noticeable, you know? Yeah. And like, but uh, sure, look, it is what it is. Also, did you guys notice in when uh, Maro Ronello was calling out the 205ers? He was like, and Anthony Rumble Johnson. And oh, then he was like, I love he's, that. He was like, wait, he's not here. He's like, are you sure? I'm pretty sure I saw it backstage somewhere. <laughs> That was like <laughs> an absolute brilliant moment. Uh, Maro was uh, like such a such a such a character. You know what I mean? Like he, oh yeah. He, what's called when it goes wrong, it, it, it's it's almost a bit like uh, Mike Goldberg. You know what I mean? You sort of just have to laugh it off. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can tell you, Moro. Yeah, I talked to Moro about that. I said, hey, "Well, you played it off well." He goes, "John, I swear to God, I thought I saw him." Right? I go, "You thought wrong." And so they would <laughs> told you if he was there, but I will tell you, man, Moro Moro Nalo is he is a genius the guy is brilliant you know he doesn't turn on that voice or anything that is his voice you can ask josh you know no matter where he's at and he comes up i I know the sport really well and i've got i've got history in my head morrow's the guy that can try to challenge me with that history he is just brilliant when it comes to the sport of mma yeah guys when when bellator is, is back it's april 3rd isn't it if i'm not mistaken is is that is that it? Like Bellator is back. It's like fully up and running. Lights, camera, yep. action. Expected nearly every Friday. Yeah. Yeah, they're saying uh, for three weeks straight, we're going to open up this tournament, and then after that, it'll be two shows a month for the rest of the year. That's brilliant. That's brilliant to hear, lads. The first the first show actually has the the semifinal of the featherweight tournament between yep. Patricio Pitbull and Emmanuel Sanchez, and that is going to be a rematch that is going to be just fire. That should be an incredible fight. Yeah. I, I really, I really believe, I really believe outside of AJ McKee, this fight is to see who is the number one fighter in the world. You've got AJ McKee and you've got Patricio Pitbull, but Emmanuel Sanchez is right there trying to make that push to make to secure whether he's the number one guy in the world. I don't know if he gets it done. I think Patricio is really coming to his own. But right now, to me, in the in the world, Patricio Pitbull is the number one featherweight in the world. Everyone's going to say Max Holloway. How, how how is Max Holloway the number one guy in the world when he's not even the number one guy in his promotion? So you can't you can't say the two things. I can match up. John and I talk about this all the time. I can match up fighters to where my guy wins every single time. Just like people that are saying, well, Max Holloway is. You're trying to match up a fighter that could potentially beat our guy, but that's only because you're trying to match up the guy you think that has the best tools to beat him. But if we were to say champion for champion, my champion, which is the is is the Bellator champion, which is Patricio Pitbull, I think he beats Volkanovski. He beats him, I think, nine times out of ten times they were to fight. My personal opinion. But I look at Patricio Pitbull, the way he's coming to his own with his wrestling, and I've trained and grappled with him on the ground. He is physically just probably one of the strongest guys I've ever grappled with and very technical. Trying to move his legs is ridiculous. No way trying to pass that guard. He is phenomenal, and he obviously has the punching power of a guy who fights at 205 and heavyweight. You know, when you put him in a, in the cage against guys that are his weight, he just absolutely destroys them. And we saw that with Pedro Cavallo. 
So if you're gonna if you're gonna match those guys up, AJ McKee to me will be the biggest threat against Patricio Pitbull. Mayel Sanchez sure is gonna pose some threats as the fight goes on, but you've always got to be afraid of that of that uh, that power of Pitbull. But right now, to me, and I'll continue to say this, and it's very controversial, but Patricio Pitbull is the best 145 pounder right now in the world. There you have it, Basma. What do you think of that? Now, like, Bryce McCarr, would you say that? Because, like, me and Max Holloway are best mates. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then, um, obviously, uh, Pitbull knocked out Michael Chandler as well, who, like, people can't keep out of their mouth in the UFC as well. But, lads, I'm just looking at the time. I know we kept you here a bit longer than expected, so we'll sort of, like, wrap things up now just shortly. Um, as we we invited two lads on, because myself and Ross are massive fans of your lads' show, you know what I mean? We've been we've been watching for a long, long time, and it's unbelievable <laughs> to get you on. It was like it, it was perfect to bring you on when Bellator announced it as well. Also, it's episode three hundred, and what we said off the air as well, Ross, that um, it, we we were after be let, being let know that it's it's confirmed that we will be on the UC two fifty nine countdown video, which is a massive achievement for myself and Ross, because like we're just two lads trying to live our lives, and we're just trying to do as good a job as you lads, and uh, it was just a very proud day. So to have you guys on to sort of share the moment is brilliant and everyone who tunes in as well but like obviously UC 259 is going to be an unbelievably massive card and we're really really looking forward to it um, I want to give you all the opportunity to pick one fight obviously someone's going to pick the best one first but uh, like I, I want you to tell me what fight you're sort of looking forward to there and what you're sort of expecting from it so if does it does anyone want to go first and then we'll, let, we'll let our guests fight. go first Bosmo yeah go ahead John Bye. John uh, so, uh, so UFC 259, who's on, who's on that card? Yeah, it's oh my god. For me, it's Peter Yawn. <laughs> I, I knew you were gonna Peter, say that. I want to see the Peter Yawn fight because, look, as many people want to talk about how great he is, I haven't seen quite enough of him yet. And I sure I've watched him fight, but he's looked so good and so dominant and so technical in so many different areas. And the reason why I want to see more of him, though, as well, is that Bellator just signed Magomed Magomedov, and he's had one fight in Bellator, and he's the only guy to ever beat him. Just like Magomed uh, Magomedov, his only loss has been to Peter Yan. So the two of them together is <clears throat> the, the two of them. I want to see more, so I know more of how to talk about Magomed Magomedov for his for his fights in Bellator. But Peter Yan to me and and uh, and Aljo Sterling, Aljo is the two of them together should make for a very good fight in terms of Aldrin Sterling, though, with the speed, the power, the aggressiveness coming forward. But the way the way that Peter Yan handles other people so technically is it really makes me want to want to tune in to watch and see how he takes away the athleticism out of Aldrin Sterling. How does he do that? Because for me, that was something that I, when I am throughout my career, Sure, I was athletic, but I fought a lot of guys that were way more athletic than me. And I was able to get wins, but I could never go back and critique and say how I did it. And I want to see how he does it because he doesn't look athletically gifted at all when you look at his body style. You don't you look at the way the things he the things he does, but he seems to to find ways to 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 slow other fighters down, to make him fight his style of fight to uh, take away their advantages. And I, that's the one thing I've always wanted to watch the littler guys fight because they're the most technical. I love watching the two s- smaller guys or the smaller athletes fight because they do fight more technically than the bigger guys. So to me, that's the fight that I'm looking the most forward to. Big jump. Uh, my, I, I agree that that's going to be a great fight. And I love Peter Yan. 
uh, but you cannot take anything from the Jan Blahovich versus Israel Adesanya fight. That is the fight. That is the fight, and it's a lot of what you know Josh was saying with the Aljo versus Jan fight. It's about technically good. How technically good is Israel Adesanya? He is so good. Can that technical prowess, can that ability that he brings to the cage take away the power-punching opportunities that Blahovich tries to create? And, and if he does get touched, can Blahovich put him out? We have seen in kickboxing, and I did, I, I did uh, some of Israel's fights in kickboxing, we've seen guys be able to hurt him in that kickboxing range well, with a four-ounce glove and the power that Blahovich, he can put, you know, Israel out. But you look at his last fight against Paulo Costa and the way he handled a guy that's a heavy puncher, the way he handled uh, his ability to take away all the tools that Paulo Costa brought. I think that's just going to be an incredible fight to watch. Roscoe. First of all, shout out to Johnny Boxen. Uh, I don't know if you know this, Josh, but Peter Jan's boxing coach is actually an Irish man, so big shout out to him. Uh, for me, I'm actually going to say the return of DC, the original DC, Dominic <laughs> Cruz. He's coming in against Casey Kenny. Uh, I thought it was a very strange matchup but when it was made. I thought, you know, putting Dominic Cruz in there, I thought he'd maybe get a, a bigger name or a higher profile fight. But I want to see can Dominic Cruz get the job done. Does he still have anything left in the tank? And I'd love to see him maybe have one or two last big paydays against maybe a Jose Aldo or a TJ Dillashaw or maybe even a Cody Garbrandt rematch. I'd be interested in those. Uh, so I'm interested to see what DC Dominic Cruz has left in the gas tank. If, if I had to pick one, I know I should definitely mention the, the potential GOAT um, Amanda Nunes taking on Megan Anderson, but Thiago Santos against Alexander Rakic in the light heavyweight division. That is, just, I'm just expecting pure fireworks off that lad. But um, like, uh, like I do want to reiterate, thanks, million guys, for coming on the mm. show. Um, I know you t- you have to say you're very busy, guys. Also, have you ever done a podcast t- together on someone else's show? No. There First we go. Time. We popped the cherry. <laughs> we yeah. popped the cherry, lads. But First um, time <laughs> one, one last quick Bellator related question. Bellator 2021 ends. Do we see James Gallagher in a title fight and will he walk away with the belt? We see him in a title fight. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. And do I see this, him as This champion? is sort of yes yeah. or no section here. I don't know. <laughs> I think it's pretty simple. You got you got a top five that you're looking at, and Gallagher's probably part of that. But he might be yeah. the fifth guy in that. And so he's going to have to get past. He's not going to get that shot right away. Obviously, we've got Pettis coming against Archuleta. That's going to be the next one. But there's a couple of guys in there that you look at their style, patchy mix against Gallagher. That's going to be a very interesting fight if you can uh, get that sign. And I honestly think they're looking at putting those two guys together. But then you've got yeah. Magomed Magomedov. That dude is a stud, and I did his fight that he lost to Peter Yan, and I can tell you it was a great fight. He is good. So can he get that in 2021? He's got he's to get a big win. He's got to either get a big win against someone like Apache Mix, maybe a big win against someone like a Magomed. He gets that, he'll get that title shot. But he's There's a lot of guys there. <clears throat> There's guys in that top 135-pound that top weight class that aren't even on that list. Yeah, Josh Hill. Um, the one, yeah, I mean, you, you, you've you got uh, Leandro Higo. 
You've got um, and Ricky then uh, was, yeah, you're, no, you're Ricky, isn't in there. He's not there right now. Uh, but then you have uh, who's the one that uh, Magomed just beat? Uh, he just beat him. Oh, uh, Matos. Matos. Matos is just as good as well. I mean, he wasn't able to get, you know, he got out hustled and outworked against Magomedov, but he's up in that talk and that conversation. One or two wins, he's going to be right there in that top five as well. So you've got guys that are in that mix that are not even on that list. James Gallagher's got his hands full. I mean, it's really going to come down. Do I think he can do it? Yes. Do I think he can get to the title? Yes. But he's going to, he's going to have a rough road. You know, the other thing as well is he, physically, he's not, physically, he's not that strong. He doesn't look physically that strong, but his submission game is very damn good. He doesn't get enough credit for it. Everyone thinks he wants to try to be a Connor S type fighter, maybe in the brashness and the talk, but they don't fight anything alike. No, they're, no. they're nothing alike on the feet. They're nothing alike in their styles of fighting. Maybe no, they're talking conversation and some, maybe a couple of tattoos that look similar, but other than that, they are nothing alike. James Gallagher is a different type of fighter than, than Connor McGregor, which is good for him. You know, um, He's phenomenal on the ground, but he's got his hands full with guys that are phenomenal on the ground as well. Magomedov and Patchy Mix are the two that come to mind directly that I think will make for amazing fights against him because of the grappling aspect of it all. You also got to figure out he's young. He's still yeah. so young. He's got so much growth potential in him, and he can get, you know, all these things are going to come with time. And right now, I, one of the things I will give him credit for – you know, he came up with SPG. He's been out in the in the states in Kansas, which no one wants to go to Kansas. I'm telling you right now. Okay, well, see James Krause. People well, James Krause, James Krause, you know, has got his school glory. James Krause is a phenomenal coach, and Gallagher's been there training, and he's been learning things from them. They've been learning things from him. That's what he needs to do. He needs to expand. It doesn't mean that he's leaving SPG. He's just going and expanding his you know, knowledge of the sport, opening up that toolbox, putting a couple things in there that eventually he fights with one of these guys. He's going to probably need one of those tools and he's going to have it in place. Yeah. And shout out to Kevin Kroom, who's a part of that team fighting yeah. this weekend. Yeah. Also, it's great to see Bellator are going to be implementing the ranking system as well. So it'll just be a lot easier for uh, for people to just really understand everything. But uh, I'll just give him a two cents now, lads. I want to. I do want to thank you again. I love the way you <laughs> always have your show ready and out on Monday. So when I'm about to work, like you, you're the first one that I check out every week, and I really do appreciate you doing a great stuff. Not just for like myself, but everyone who, who really enjoys it. Your chemistry is brilliant, and uh, I think that really helps Bellator do well as well, Ross. Yeah, no, uh, guys, thanks thanks a million for coming on. When I said you guys were the number one podcast in MMA, I really, we meant it. I have like a little ranking order. I was like, I listened to Wayne in first, then DC and Helwani, and then I listened to Morning Combat. Uh, I don't like look, listening back to our own show, although I, I do do it just <laughs> to make sure that the, the sound is all good and all that. But uh, I don't think anyone is, is that uh, pushed that they like to listen back to themselves. But you guys are killing the game. It's great to have inside of the third man in the cage, uh, like John, especially when, you know, there's a, you know, questionable decision, you know, just even go back to the weekend, Vieira versus Kunitskoya, just the way you break down the sort of what the rule set is. And then Josh, obviously being a fighter yourself and obviously being high level and a champion, it's good to see from the fighter aspect. So it is the perfect mix. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. You guys, if, you, if all your listeners, you guys understand that you guys are in Ireland, so the time change, you guys, we drop to you guys on Monday morning, but we drop early on Sunday mornings, almost always. Uh, usually like six, six to eight a.m. on Sunday morning. So if you guys are in the states, 
you know, that's the time that we drop here in the States. And then we drop for you guys, what, Monday, like you guys were saying. So, yeah, check it out. Weighing in on uh, YouTube. We're on all the all the audio platforms as well. If you guys don't get YouTube or you guys have a, have a hard time accessing YouTube, we're on Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, all that stuff. So you guys check us all out there as well. So, but yeah, YouTube for sure. We're on there. And John, man, I tell you, we, we, have, we see it. It's great to hear other people say we are the number one podcast. I love it. <laughs> Both, both Barry and Ross, thanks for having us on, man. It's, it's, we are, look, we're fighting nerds. We, we can do this all day long. That's, and that's the one thing that we, when Josh and I got together, it was real simple because we, when we started just working together in Bellator, we would stay up till two thirty, three o'clock in the morning, just talking fights. And then eight o'clock in the morning, we were back and we're talking fights. And it's like, it's just what we love to do. So thanks for having us on. It was, it was a pleasure. Yeah. So, like, share, and subscribe. And as always, stay, stay energized. energized.